Thanks so much for listening to Five Leadership Questions today. You know, coming up, we have the Pipeline West Coast event. Now, some people say it's the best coast. I'm not really sure, but I would say in February is probably the best coast that you can go to. Um, So go ahead and check that out at myleadershippipeline.com. It will be on February 22nd. We'll have Carrie Newoff and Eric Geiger, Tom Rayner, Albert Tate, uh, myself, and co-host Daniel M. Uh, All of us will be out there, and we look forward to seeing you there with your team. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here with Eric Geiger. Now, you're friends with our guests that are here today. Shoot, man. This, yeah, this really hopefully will feel like everyone who's listening is just watching us hang out at a at a famous restaurant that Aaron <laughs> Ivey's going to take me to in London. <laughs> so uh, actually, right after this, I'm going to be on a plane pretty soon with, with Matt Carter and Aaron Ivey, who we're going to be in London because... Uh, we have several Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon type resources. And one that we're really excited about is is the book, Steal Away Home, which they wrote together. And we're hearing, I mean, it, it's not even out yet. And we're hearing incredible feedback from people who are loving the book, loving the story, can't put it down. It's, it's, it's gonna be, I think, a really encouraging read for a lot of people, um, a really refreshing read, a fun read, but also one that's gonna, gonna be good for the soul. Man, guys, Tell us about yourselves and, and, and also a little bit about this book. Yeah, thanks for having us on, man. Um, I This is Aaron talking, by the way. Uh, I am um, in Austin, Texas. Matt and I both are pastors at the Austin Stone Community Church. And um, Matt started the church. I've been here for nine years. I've been married for 17 years and I've got four awesome kids. Yeah, this is Matt uh, Carter and yeah, I'm um, the founding pastor of the Austin Stone. We started about 15 years ago. And um, Aaron has been worship leader for us for almost a decade. He and I are really good friends, live close together, enjoy doing ministry together. And I'm uh, married, been married for 21 years to my wife, Jennifer. We've got three kids, uh, John, Daniel, Annie, and Samuel. And, and a couple of things that the listeners might find funny <laughs> and really cool about, about Matt and Aaron. So one night I took Matt out to eat. And it is, you said at the time, I don't know if you were just, you were just trying to be encouraging, but it was like one of the best steaks you've ever had. Right? Yeah. What, what was that? Came I'm not from? even saying the name of it, man. I don't want people to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it, it was an awesome steak. But here's what you said at, the, at dinner. You said, um, man, this is one of the best meals, but the best meal I ever had is Aaron Ivy cooked for me for my birthday one year. So Aaron Ivy is, is not only an artist when it comes to leading worship, uh, but he's an artist in the kitchen, right? It, it's arguable that he is a better chef than he is a worship leader, and he's <laughs> one of the best in the country. So it's pretty phenomenal. People fight and argue over who gets to go eat Aaron Ivy's meals. So that's, that's a true story. That's, that's that's a compliment, man. I mean, I'm holding out, you know, for the day when I, I can't play a guitar and wear skinny jeans anymore. So I need some. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have another skill. Yeah, you, that's great. You gotta have a backup. You gotta have a side hustle. That's right. <laughs> now Matt's got a side hustle. He he not only is the pastor and founding pastor, uh, one of the pastors, but also the founding pastor at Austin Stone, but he also is the offensive line, not the offensive no, line, no, the no, offensive no, coordinator. Offensive sorry, coordinator. sorry. Offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator, not O-line. You, you coordinate the whole offense at your son's school, and he plays, right? That's right. That's right. He is, uh, he is a starter for our team. So we got athlete and artist. 
on the podcast today. No, here's the way we combine these things. Because Matt also is famous for being famous. Oh, because he caught a bird. He caught a quail. So what if, if you've ever seen the quail catch video, that's you got You got to put in the show notes. We'll put, we'll put a link to Shaquille the- Shaquille O'Neal tweeted it. Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> tweeted that Matt so Carter catching a bird with his bare hands in the air. My so so if we combine these two things, it would be then Aaron cooked it. Aaron cooked it. Man, that would be, that would made the story awesome. If you it would be killed the bird. Sorry for bird lovers. And then Aaron had had cooked the bird for it dinner. Would be, it would be insane. That would be such a better story. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's it's redneck and artist. That's what Matt. <laughs> well, man, right. let's jump into the questions and and we'll uh, we'll also talk a little more th- more about the book at the end because I want everybody to 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 get it. It's, it's a, it's an incredible, incredible book, steal away home. But first question we always ask, we like to ask leaders on the five leadership questions is who are you learning from? Matt, let's start with you. And then we'll, we'll jump to Aaron. Matt today, who are you learning from? Yeah. So, um, I think I hate to give a cliche answer, but our lives have been so intertwined with, uh, Charles Spurgeon and, and this guy, this other character in the book, Thomas Johnson, um, who was a, former slave in the United States that was trained by Spurgeon at his college to be a missionary in Africa. But I've spent the better part of the last three years of my life um, reading everything that I could get my hands on from Charles Spurgeon. And we, when we wrote this book, we wanted to, um, we, we wrote it in a little bit different way. We wrote it from the characters themselves. And so we spoke from the voice of Spurgeon and spoke from the voice of Thomas Johnson. And so, uh, gosh, all of his autobiographies, uh, as many sermons as we could consume, trying to get in the head of these guys, not only know what they did, but learn how they thought the best as we could as people that lived, uh, you know, several dozen years away from them. And, and so Spurgeon has been always my hero, but he has become a mentor to me over the last three years. And that's been, uh, that's been pretty rewarding. Man, I, I want to double click that because I know when you started Austin Stone, it, it was a time when a lot of churches were, were being started that would talk about um, how, how awesome their facilities would be one day. And, and you really had a different, when stone, the, the stone was started, if I'm remembering correctly, you, you looked at Metropolitan Baptist, which was Spurgeon's church, as the kind of church you'd want to emulate. Am I, am I remembering correctly? No, that's that's correct. I mean, I, I planted the church in 2002, and that was right in the middle of the church growth movement. You had, you had great churches like Will Creek and Saddleback that were kind of the in North Point that, that was the model that all the church planters in America were kind of um, modeling their church after. And and I had just got finished reading a book about Metropolitan Tabernacle, and and how not only was it it built on the foundation of obviously Spurgeon's next level preaching, you know, he was packing the place out every night, every Sunday evening and, and Sunday morning, but they really had a heart for the city of London. And, um, it was said of his church that had they packed up their, um, packed up the tent and closed the doors and left that the city of London would have grieved that they had had such an influence in the culture through the way they dealt with orphans and widows and the hungry and, and other pastors. And so we really wanted to start the Austin stone with this heart, not only for the gospel, not only to preach the Bible, but also to impact our city in a real intangible way. And that's so awesome to hear. I can't, I'm I'm looking forward to to dive into this book. I'll have a long time on an airplane. So that's probably when I'm hitting it. (laughs) Aaron, what about you? Tell me, who are you learning from? Well, the answer for me for sure is is Spurgeon, uh, just because Matt and I have been just surrounded by him and his writing for 
so many years as we've been working on this book. And one of the things that I learned as I uh, dove more into Spurgeon's leadership is that he was a student of culture. Um, like he just studied the city of London. He studied what the culture was like, what artists were like, what common people were like in the city of London. And so uh, that that's really kind of pushed me to, to, to really be learning from um, people who know a lot about culture here in Austin, Texas and here uh, in our country. And so a few other people that I'm learning from right now is um, Scott Sauls, who, who's been really helpful in um, his book, Befriend, was, he's been really helpful just with dealing um, with all kinds of cultural issues, hits really home uh, here in the city of Austin. I love podcasts, and so I learn a lot from podcasts. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History is something I'm learning from right now. Uh, a guy named Austin Cleon, uh, who just wrote uh, Still Like an Artist recently, last couple of years. Been learning a lot from him just about what it means to be an artist that that serves people and, and um, uses creativity to, um, you know, help influence people. So th- those are a few that I'm, I'm learning from right now. Let me ask a, a quick question. What are some practical ways then that you've learned to uh, exegete a culture? Practically... Man, I think it's good, whatever city you happen to be a leader in, uh, just to get good data on who the people are that actually live in your city. Barna Research has a really great um, resource where they give you information about the demographic of your city. I just, like last week, looked through that. It was Austin's data from, I think, a year ago. And it was just so helpful to know who's in my city, you know, where they come from, how long they've lived here what their worldview is. I mean, that, that definitely shapes uh, songs that I write, the way that I lead um, worship, the way that I approach being a pastor in the city of Austin. That, that, things like that practically have been really helpful. Good deal. Before I, before I ask this, uh, a second, or before I ask Matt the same question, I would say um, another really helpful resource is BAO, uh, has an app, and basically, it's, uh, it's really for entrepreneurs who are starting a business to look at demographics, but it, got, it has very deep, rich demographics and it's available for free. So a lot of times we'll um, pass that along to church planters. But I B-A-O. B-A-O, yeah. Cool. Uh, Matt, same question. You know, I think one of the things that I've intentionally done is, is uh, maintain relationships with younger people um, in Austin. I think that I, as I look back over kind of my 20 years of, of ministry, I've noticed that there were, there are pastors and there's churches that, that seem to catch on fire and are impacting the, the youth culture. And then it happens for about 15 years, 20 years, and then they seem to fade away. And, and at the end of the day, when you age as a pastor, your congregation ages with you. And so I've been very intentional about maintaining relationships with college students. It's one of the reasons I coach football. I spend two and a half hours a day in the afternoon with a bunch of teenage guys coaching them. And, and I can't tell you how much I've learned about the way they think, the way they act, what motivates them. And so that's what I've been doing, hanging out with young people. Good deal. So uh, Matt, what are your main points of emphasis in your leadership right now at Stone? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things, there's two things that, that we really are spending a lot of time thinking about these days at the kind of the senior level leadership of the Austin Stone one is, what does it look like to lead in plurality? Um, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, Matt, where, who makes the decisions at the Austin Stone? Where does the buck stop with you? And I always answer the question this way that, 
the person that it depends on the subject, you know, cause we have guys that have areas of expertise all across that room. And so if, if the, if it's ultimately a theological question, we're looking at Hall M. Suh. He's one of, he's an incredible theologian. If it's a leadership question, we look at Eric Geiger's co-author, Kevin Peck, you know, mm-hmm. because he's, he's a, a beast. He's a he's a beast. Now, at arena. If, if we're looking at, at, uh, worship culture, if we're looking at, um, um, at, at the way that Austinites think we're, we're listening to Aaron, if it's a question of, of, of service or preaching, they're looking at me. And so I think where we get into trouble is where one guy thinks he has to be the expert in every subject and it just never works. Um, I think secondly, we're, we're right now, we're spending a lot of time talking about faithfulness. I mean, as, as, as everybody listening knows, there've been a lot of people, um, that are our peers, pastors around the country that have fallen over the last couple yes. of years. Yep. And we are really spending more time than ever asking the question, what does it look like and what do we need to do to endure? And we're talking a lot about that right now. Man, I'm glad you are. I am glad you are. That is, that is good news to hear. On the leadership and, and depending on the subject matter or the discipline, someone being a leader, a great, a great uh, concept I heard on that years ago was Max Dupree. He's a leadership author. He called it roving leadership. That basically, depending on the, on the discipline or the subject matter, when there's high trust and high credibility amongst the same people on a team, then then leadership can really rove from one person to the next, depending on on the subject matter. So that's that's a that's, I appreciate you modeling that for us. That's great. So what about you, Aaron? What, what are, what's the main point of emphasis for you in your leadership? Well, I think the main point. It seems like it changes um, for us every every season, every year specifically. You know, as you're looking at the the temperature of the team, and you're looking at kind of what the morale is and where people seem to be. And so, as, as we're thinking about moving into this fall semester, specifically with creative arts team, worship leaders, storytellers, artists at the Austin Stone, the thing that we're really going to be centering on is what Matt alluded to, uh, faithfulness. We're calling it congruence, which is really where what's on the outside matches what's on the inside, where there's not um, a difference between the, the inner man or inner woman and the outer man, outer woman, but there's um, there's there's unity between the two. So yeah. whatever's on the inside, it's it's matching the outside. And, and I think that's really hard for, for artists specifically in a, in a culture like Austin, where everything is kind of based on what you produce and what you create without attention to the inner soul. And so congruence, faithfulness, that that's a major theme that we're uh, pushing our team towards this fall. It's awesome. I love it. All right. So when you think about both of your, your leadership, thankfully by God's grace, you both have led and are leading faithfully. And I'm, I join, join you in longing to finish well. But when you look at the, the two or three things that you look at your own leadership and you say, I have to do these daily. Two or three things, Matt, that you feel, if I don't do these daily, I will get out of congruence. My, my, my inner being won't match the words that I'm speaking, the direction that I'm pointing people, or, or here's things I have to do directionally to match what my heart is. What are the two or three things that you, that you must do as a leader every day? Yeah, there's two things that I think about often, and I think if if every leader, especially those that are married, let's talk to those guys for a second, can do, you'll probably stay out of the ditches. And that's on a daily basis, I try to stay emotionally in love with Jesus, and I try to stay emotionally in love with my wife. Um, when, when, God, when the wheels come off, it's typically one or both of those things that are happening. So 
in my time with the Lord, um, uh, it's so easy just to kind of garner information from the Bible to think about it in terms of what I'm going to preach the next Sunday. But I try to keep fresh that love relationship with Jesus. And, and, and secondly, I, I daily try to pursue the heart of my wife. Um, it's very easy to put her on the back burner when you're in a part of a, of a church and a, a pastorate. And so I, I'm very intentional about um, keeping us in a place where we're at our first love. And I think if you're emotionally in love with the Lord, you're emotionally loved with your wife. There are very few things that can derail you from, from enduring. I mean, I heard you say one time at a, at a conference, I think it was a small gathering we were at, you, you spoke and this really stuck. Um, correct me if I'm misquoting you, but you said something along the lines of my life goal is that when I die, my wife says he's the, he's the godliest man I ever knew. And I would marry him all over again. That's right. I, I talk about how I wanted my kids to say that, that That's that it. was the godliest man I knew. And I wanted my wife to say that I would marry him all over again. You know, I think if, if those two things are said, when you're laying there in the casket, you've been a success. Love it. Aaron, what about you? Two or three things you absolutely must do. Yeah, well, I absolutely agree with Matt and something that um, I strive for, too, and Jamie and I strive for. Adding to that, I would say, um, you know, I've found that, um, and most leaders would, would say this if they were totally honest, you know, it, it's easy um, to to kind of um, dig up old stuff, you know, that maybe you've learned from the Lord or you've heard somebody else say and then and then use that as kind of like a flimsy kind of fake version of your own leadership. It's just easy to do that until it's not easy anymore. And you realize that you're a, a fraud, you know, wow. you, you lost some of the passion uh, that you started ministry with. And, and I just don't want to be there. I've had so many friends that have burnt out or tapped out or, or just stopped doing it, you know, because of that. And so for me, man, I know that input is the key to output. A couple of things, it, it, I'm always trying to input the word of God, you know, like there, there is a direct correlation between any season of dryness or apathy that I have and a lack of being in, in the scripture, actually reading the word and feasting on it. Um, and then input with, with just like knowledge and wisdom, like, reading, listening, paying attention to what other thinkers are saying and what other, um, you know, books are kind of like sparking new ideas and, and new imagination. Um, input's always the key to output, you know, and so that, that those are those are two things that I try to focus on. What's the, uh, for both of you, what, people that listen to this podcast are used to us mentioning, I don't know, at least half a dozen books, sometimes a dozen books per episode. So, what are you, what's, what's had the most impact in the last, uh, six months? What's, what's a book or two that you would say, man, this is a really good read. Well, for me, it has been, um, the Epic of Eden, uh, by Sandra Richter, um, Zach Eswine's book, Recovering Eden. And just most recently in the last two weeks, uh, as King Fisher's Catch Fire by Eugene Peterson. Those are three books that have just rocked, rocked my world lately. Good deal. How about um, you, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been reading Tony Merida's book on preaching, um, about Christ centered preaching. And not only does he do a great job of just kind of talking about the nuts and bolts of a sermon, but he does a, just a phenomenal job on talking about the heart and the life of a preacher and, um, and how those two things are, are, are so connected. And so that's been impacting me lately. Good deal. So both of you have talked, uh, quite a bit about 
your home and your your home lives. So uh, question four we always ask is, what does leadership look like in your home? So Matt, go ahead and do that one. Yeah, that's a question I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about over the last couple of years. My, my oldest son is 17 and he's gonna be a junior in high school this year. So I have two more years with him. My daughter's 15. And so my time with these kids are, is very limited at this point. And, and so one of the things that I've, I've been intentionally doing for a few years now is I try to be, I guess the best way to put it, is I try to be the lead repenter in my house. Um, I, I don't think my kids have noticed that. I don't think they need a dad that's perfect. I think they need a dad that knows how to turn and lean on the grace of God in failure. And so I try to be the first guy to say I'm sorry um, when things go go wrong in our house and and try to see them, let them see me not as a, as a guy that's this perfect pastor that doesn't make mistakes, but a guy that, that makes mistakes and repents well. That's awesome. Very good. All right, Aaron, how about you? The, the season that we're in right now is, um, you know, a little different than we've been in before. As our kids are getting older, my, my oldest son is 13. So we have 13, 11, 10 and nine. And three of our kids came to us through adoption and they have incredible stories, but they've also got, you know, a lot of sadness in their story. And they they've they suffer from um, pretty intense um, attachment disorder. And so as a leader of my family, I'm realizing the need for consistency and congruence. Like I talked about earlier, that the same man who is their leader at home is the same man that they see leading at church um, from a platform. There's no, there's no difference, but there's a consistency in my love for people, my love for them, my love for the Lord. Um, and then just, just patience, patience as a as a leader in my home of knowing that it's a long game of being a father. It's a long game of being a husband. Um, I'm, I'm leading future adults. You know, my children are going to be 30 and 40 one day and I have to parent in a way where I have a sense of patience and trusting that, that God's, God's doing something in their heart and their life that I might not even get to see yet. That's awesome. Well, I'm gonna wrap us up. Take us home with the fifth question. And I all of a sudden got a little uh, reminiscent, Aaron, of uh, back in the day. Uh, we, I, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but you and I used to uh, do youth ministry alongside one another, never on, on staff at the same church, but right. you, you would come right. lead worship at youth things I spoke at or, or for the youth ministry I led. Todd, that was you, such a fun season, man. You, yeah. Todd, so Todd and I were on staff together in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Aaron, you came to Cincy one yeah. time. So, Todd, were you there when Aaron I came? I think so. Gosh, man. So, and then, and then, <laughs> <is> so weird. <laughs> so, the question is, what would you tell your 20 year old self? We were just over 20. <laughs> I know, I was a young cat. This is, man, this is a long time ago. So, what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead? So, Matt, let's start with you. you uh, so, 15 years ago, you started Austin Stone. Um, so, it, you know, it, that's 15 years ago. But what would you tell when you were 20 years old? What would Matt Carter today tell Matt Carter? who was 20 about, about being a leader and about leading the church. Well, yeah, 20 years ago, I don't, I don't think I had any idea um, how critical of a role encouragement plays when you're a leader to your team. And I learned a pretty, if you, you bear with me, a very quick little football story. Uh, we made it to the state championship this year and I was, uh, was a offensive coordinator. So I'm the guy calling all the plays. And so throughout 
the entire game, our defense just was horrible. We couldn't stop them. And so my offense, we'd have to go down and score every single time to just stay in the game. In the last quarter of the game, our defense finally made a stop and we ended up winning the, the football game. And uh, our head coach, which is my boss, um, sent out this group text late in the evening and said, hey, I just want to thank the defensive coordinator for basically helping us win this football game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to write back, like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm the guy that kept the score in the whole time while your defense stunk. But it, 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 I realized how important it is for, for your boss, if you will, to come in and speak life into you. And so I walked in that next Sunday at church and every leader I saw was like, I just want you to know how great of a job you're doing and how much you mean to me. And so I, and I was just horrible at that when I was a 20 year old guy. And so I, I made a, I think I hurt a lot of people and, and uh, burn out a lot of people along the way because I wasn't kind of that lead encourager and, yeah. and I would definitely go back and do that differently. Yeah. Same here. Aaron, what about you? Man, if, if I could, you know, do anything different as a 20 year old guy who was trying to figure out how to be a leader at the time. Uh, it would be just to listen more. You know, I think it's, it's easy to just think that you're trying to carve out something new or you're trying to be innovative and you, you know what you're, you're doing, you know what you want to do and forget to, to really listen, to be teachable, to be moldable, to be humble and surround yourself with older guys that, that have, you know, a little bit further down the road than you are and, and have something to teach you. I wish that I would have been a little bit more teachable. And, uh, now as a, as a leader who's pouring into 20 year olds and 25 year olds, uh, the thing that I'm looking for is, um, are guys that, that are, are listening. They're, they're teachable and moldable. I think that, that there's so much potential when you just kind of approach, um, leadership and ministry that way. All right. Aaron, I want you to take us out with this. I know you guys have obviously been friends for a long time and it's, I think it's so important to be doing ministry with people you like and yeah. people that you're, you're friends with and you have real relationships uh, with. It's, it was a blessing to me to be able to come to Lifeway. Eric and I had known each other for 15 years. Yeah. He was in my wedding, uh, but we kept up enough with each other even more we were apart where when we came back together, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And I don't know that I could, I don't know that I would still, you know, be here in my role and doing some of the stuff I'm doing if he wasn't here. Um, and so that's, we, we understand the importance of a friendship. The, the book that you guys wrote, um, certainly it wasn't maybe this deep of a relationship, but there was certainly a friendship, uh, between Charles Spurgeon and Thomas Johnson and, you know, it is an unlikely one. He was the Prince of Preachers. And well, just tell a little bit about this friendship uh, and, you know, why it's important, really what, what the book's about. That's one of the things that, that really caught mine and Matt's attention when we did discover the story of Thomas Johnson having a, a friendship with Charles Spurgeon. And I think the reason it struck us uh, so quickly is because Matt and I, uh, are such good friends and we have been doing ministry for 15 years almost now. And we've realized that to endure in ministry, you've got to have people in your life that you enjoy doing life with and people who are going to can keep pushing you forward and help endure you. And that's the story that you see with Charles and, and Thomas, you know? And so uh, this book really is a story about, about two men 
who uh, help each other um, really endure in in the race. And you see them both struggling with with a different type of bondage. Thomas is uh, being freed from physical bondage, physical slavery. But Charles, you see him really in bondage to depression and to sickness. And you see both of these men speaking life-giving words, speaking the gospel to each other, um, reminding each other to keep keep one foot in front of each other, enduring till the end. And that, that's one of the things that was just so captivating uh, to us as authors. And that's why we wanted to tell this story. Man, I'm really glad you did. I'm grateful for your labor. I know you, I know you've lived with the content for a long time and, and I know that the Lord used it to sanctify you. I mean, you're, you're talking about Spurgeon and all your learning being, being the biggest learning of your, of your life in the last couple of years, but thanks for the gift of putting it all on, on paper for us. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the impact that it has. No, so much. Yeah, we uh, certainly have enjoyed our time together today. And so uh, we will be sure that we put all of the books mentioned in the show notes, as well as a link to this book. Um, We'll probably give away several in connection with this podcast. So we'll go ahead and and commit to doing that. And you can hold us accountable to that when you when you listen. And please also uh, don't forget to go over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review and tell five friends uh, to listen to 5OQ. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Wait, don't don't go yet. Don't hold up. Okay, so we are doing Pipeline West in the OC. That's right, Southern California. February 22nd and 23rd. So February 22nd is the actual conference day. That's Kerry Newoff, Tom Rayner, Eric Geiger, myself, Daniel M., Albert Tate. These people will all be bringing it for sure. You want to be there, not only because it's going to be great content, but it's February, okay? And this is California. So it's a the sunny in 76 is good to be at any time of year, but especially in February. Hope to see you there.